Welcome to the Covering Ground Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Wheeler. All my friends call me Wheel, so you can too. And I'm so excited to share this with you. This podcast explores the psychology of action versus inaction, why some people can set goals and achieve them while others can't, and how to start even if you don't know where to begin. You'll be hearing from people at all stages of their journeys, from entrepreneurs just starting out to artists who've achieved unparalleled success. I'll be sharing ideas on how to manage resistance, procrastination, environment, and energy to help you take the steps necessary to get to where you want to be. I'll also be sharing my own journey and the messy behind-the-scenes process you don't always get to see. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get started and cover some ground. Today's guest is an entrepreneur and business coach who helps fit pros from all over the world start and scale their businesses. She's the creator of Moderation 365, a nutrition coaching program, and she's also the host of the Best Life podcast and FitBizU with over 1.5 million downloads. She's a mentor of mine that made a huge impact on me and the work that I was able to get done in spite of my emotions, and I'm thrilled to have her here today. Jill Coleman. Jill Coleman, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited too. You were one of my first big mentors that I spent a lot of time with and I learned so much from you. So I'm so excited to be able to share and let the people know who you are. For those who might not know who you are, can you just share a little bit of your story and what you do? Sure. Yep. So um, I own a company called Jill Fit and actually Wheels, you and I worked together, what was it, 2017, 20, something like that, 2017, 2018 in a program I used to have called Best of You, which was kind of like a business mentorship. And I actually started out as a fitness and health sort of entrepreneur back in 2010. But prior to that, I was in the fitness space for a long time, was a full-time personal trainer, group fitness instructor, all the things, had worked every single job in a gym. I was running a university wellness center. And I just was having a lot of conversations with clients and didn't know where to put all of that extra information that I wanted to share. And so back in 2010, blogging was pretty big. So I started blog at jillfit.com. And essentially I was just sharing like really simple pieces of content, like recipes, workouts, um, you know, little fat loss tips, stuff like that. So at the time I was actually coming out of a, the competitor space. I was a figure competitor for all through my twenties. And so I was actually helping people like lose fat, build muscle, get up on stage, a lot of like sort of aesthetic things. And it ended up sort of culminating with me sort of having a real food obsession, body obsession, exercise obsession issue, and realizing that if I wanted to really make Jill Fit, the blog at that time, a real business and go fully online, I really had to figure out a way to not be obsessed with food, my body and exercise all the time and really focus on what I wanted to do, which is help a lot more people. And so um, at that time, I was sort of going through a transition with trying to just be okay with eating moderately and mindfully and learn all these kind of things. And within a couple of years, Jillfit had grown to a pretty successful online business. We were doing all one-on-one coaching and people started asking me like, how are you doing this? And at that point, I didn't know everything, obviously, but I knew enough to help someone who was just getting started. And so that's where Best of You, which is the program that you were in, that's where I started in 2012. And so from there, it sort of was like a business mentorship slash mindset mentorship. And it sort of grew over the years to now, I would say probably two thirds, maybe three quarters of the revenue at Jillfit is business coaching for health and fitness professionals. So it's been a really fun ride. It's been about 22 years in the industry and about 11 online full-time. And so, yeah, I'm just blessed to be able to do this and to get my message out and help whoever needs help. And you do get your message out <laughs> consistently. You post so consistently, which we'll talk about later, but I do want to go back quickly to when you were first starting to blog and what that was like for you, because were you like, I know exactly what I want to write? Or were you like, fuck, like, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. I mean, you know, as fitness professionals, I'm sure you probably have a lot of people like personal trainers and things like that, listening people within the fitness space, listening to this podcast. And at that time I was working in the gym 70 to 80 hours a week. So I didn't have a ton of time. And as you know, personal training clients is a different, it's such a different way of working than online content creation, creating programs, social media posts, stuff like that. And so for me at the beginning, it was very simply like, number one, it was sort of what I call like kind of phoned it in posts, right? Recipes, workouts, like things that were not mind blowing. And I think 
that was probably one of my superpowers at the beginning was I didn't have this, like, it needs to be perfect mentality that I think a lot of people do. I was literally like, no one's reading this. Like, <laughs> I, I think I knew intellectually back then, even as I was getting started, I was basically writing for like a handful of people, my friends and family and the people who knew me locally. So I didn't feel a ton of pressure to, you know, make all these posts mind blowing. My grammar sucked. I had, you know, sort of spelling errors all over the place, emojis all over the place. And it just wasn't really good writing, but the content was good. And I was super consistent to the point where I actually blogged every day for the first two years. I think now there's maybe over 800 blogs on the site, but I wasn't really the smartest. I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't have a whole bunch of letters after my name, but I was very consistent to the point where we grew a fairly loyal readership fairly quickly because I I showed up every day. And the first like three months or so, it was taking me a long time to write these posts, mostly because I was trying to impress my peers. I was like, well, they think I'm smart. Am I getting the science right? I was like going back to my, like my old biochemistry books, like looking shit up, like really just taking a long time to post. And it was about three months in where I was like, okay, I was having a bad day. I was going through some stuff emotionally in, in my relationship. And I just got on and started writing. It was almost like stream of consciousness. It was very just open honest, vulnerable about some sort of mindset content. And I felt really scared to publish it, but I was like, it took me like 20 minutes to write, published it. And up until that point, three months in, it was the most well-received blog. So I was like, oh, I guess I don't have to be the smartest and compete on like the PhD level. I guess I can just start showing up as me. And from then blogging got a lot easier because it kind of just took the pressure off. I was like, Hey, people are here to hear about my experience, my opinions, philosophies, whatever. I don't really have to make sure that I have, you know, a research paper backing everything I say. And it took a good, I would say 18 months to like really find my voice. I think a lot of people are getting started sound like other people. And I think that's normal. You know, I sounded like some of the people that I learned from be, and I regurgitate their content because I didn't really have my own IP yet. I didn't really know what I thought about specific things, but I tried to lower the barrier to entry. And this is a piece of advice I give to all my beginner students. And that is think about the conversations you're having right now. If your client asked you at the gym, literally what protein powder should I be eating? You know, what would you tell them? And whatever you would say in that moment in person, is fair game for online. So you don't have to make sure that this person over here that you respect and who you read and whatever would agree with you. What would you say? What's your opinion? And I think for a lot of us who come up in the educational space and going through courses and stuff, we're like, oh, I'm the one. It's okay for me to say something, right? I don't have to just always defer to someone who's further along. I get to be a creator too. I don't have to just stay a consumer. And so making that shift from sort of consumer to creator, it is a tangible shift. And I know you've experienced that too. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm the one who can do this, right? It doesn't have to be the John Berardi's and people like that in our space who were always sort of, I, I consider to be setting the tone. It's like, we all have a voice. And that's one of the things I love so much about blogging at the time was like, this is a little corner of the internet that was just mine. And people, if they didn't love it, they didn't have to read it. And that feels, that felt really just liberating. What you said about trying to impress your peers or other people. Oh my goodness. I've in fitness for sure. I absolutely fell into it where I'm like, what if Bill Hartman (laughs) reads this? I'm like, Bill Hartman's not reading my post. And you were like, write to the people who are your customers or who are wanting to buy from like, those are the people you're talking to. You're not talking to so-and-so in the fitness industry. Like they don't care. They're not reading your stuff. And if they do like, you know, screw them anyway. But you were the first person to be like, write to the people you want to talk to and who want to hear from you because those people don't want to hear from, you know, they don't even know those people, right? Like that's right. the thing because I think like we often think like, why would they listen to me when so-and-so is already saying it and they're saying it so much better than I do. They don't know them. They know you and like they follow you and like maybe two other people in fitness, right? They follow you and like Jillian Michaels or somebody, right? So I think oftentimes we're in our first couple of years of growing online, being a content creator. We make the mistake of thinking that everyone is in the same bubble we are and where they're not. You know, the person who's going to be investing in you as a coach lives down the street. And they see you at the gym and they think you're really cool and they, you know, like how you work out and whatever. That's an aspirational thing for them. They're not going to hire the Insta famous model who has 2 million followers on social. Like they're just not going to because they don't have a relationship with that person. And so I very quickly saw that if I wanted to be respected by my peers, which I think a lot of us do, we want to be seen as an expert. We want to be respected by our peers. 
that the fastest way to do that was to get great results for a lot of people. That was it. I was like, you know what, if I want the industry to notice me and be up on stages and get it, you know, getting to, to show up on you know, podcast episodes and stuff like that, I would just have to do good work. And so I just put my blinders on and I went to work and I, I serviced anyone who showed up no matter what. And over time, we got a lot of results for a lot of people. We started out just doing one-on-one coaching online and people notice that. And so if you're wondering about networking in the industry or getting respect by your peers, do stuff like be someone who takes action, build a body of work that gets noticed. Yeah. I think that's for any industry too. It's really easy to wait for somebody to find you. Somebody's going <laughs> to discover me. Somebody's going to ask me to do a thing. Yep. No, that's, that's not it. You show up by presenting, by doing, by showing your results or putting out your content consistently and creating that body of work. And I know I personally am like, someday I'm going to talk about mindset and somebody's going to invite me to. And it was very recently where I was like, oh no, just talk about it. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody is like making me wait. Like I'm making myself wait. Just, just do it. Yeah, I mean, you're like, I'm going to start a podcast. Like I want to say these things. I'm not going to wait for someone to give me a stage, yes. right? To talk about it or invite me to be on their podcast or whatever. And that happens over time. And I agree with you. I think at, at the very beginning of your journey, you had this feeling of, you said the word discovered, right? Oh, if so-and-so just met me and I'm, I did, I'm like embarrassed, you know, but I didn't know what I didn't know. A lot of us don't reaching out on social, reaching out via email as an enthusiast, which if you're reaching out to someone like now I receive a lot of those messages and it's always sweet and always, you know, uh, warms my heart and it, to hear that my work has helped somebody or impacted their life. And that will never change. That's always amazing. But they want, they want more than what their body of work has really shown to me or to the world, by the way. And I was doing this too. I was like, I'm a fitness model. Get me on. Like, can I be on the cover of your magazine? And they're like, first of all, if they even responded, it was like, cool. What other work have you done? I'm like, nothing, but I'm really, you know, I'm in great shape and like, whatever, you know? So I think you don't know what you don't know. And so I wish that maybe there was a podcast like this or something that I was listening to back then to realize that if I wanted to have a level of success within the industry, right? You can always have success within your own space, but a level of success within the industry, it was going to just be me going in alone and really just taking the time and taking a shitload of action, frankly. And once I decided, once I knew that, I was like, oh, okay, this, this is cool. Like this, well, you settle into that and you go, okay, I just know this is what it's going to be. And the desire even to be seen kind of goes away because you're like, I'm just busy doing my shit. I'm busy servicing these people. Like if I get noticed or approached or an opportunity, that's amazing, but I'm not doing it for that anymore. Yeah. Tell me about, because I think when you were transitioning from your one-on-one and you're killing yourself 80 hours a week, you're going at it alone. Can you tell me about when you hired a coach, when you started to work with other people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually hired on Jill Fit, the Jill Fit team, five additional coaches within 18 months. And so um, I quickly realized that we were, we were honestly, we we're charging pennies. We we're charging like a hundred dollars a month or something like super, super low. Um, and for people listening industry standard for like one-on-one coaching online, it's anywhere between like typically three to 500, I would say it's probably average. We were charging a hundred dollars a month. And because we grew the readership, we were just talking about our offers. It was, we weren't doing big launches, no open close card. It was just this evergreen offer. We are do one-on-one fat loss coaching. And it was very specific. It was just 12 weeks and it was fat loss coaching. And we had competitors, but we mostly had like really extreme fitness people because that's what I was. So I was attracting a lot of these more obsessed type people because that's what I was. And I had five coaches. And at one point, it was about 18 months in, we were all maxed out. We got to the point where every single person we were getting clients and I was like trying to give them to my coaches and they were like, I just can't, I have no time. I can't take anymore because they're, they have other jobs and they're building their business. And so I realized that I needed help. I was like, I don't know what to do. This is a good problem to have. I'm not going to complain about it, but I don't know what to do with these people. And I think at that time I still had a huge scarcity mindset. So I think I did incrementally like increase the prices, but then it was like 125 a month, 150. It wasn't even, you know what I mean? And so we were in a position that I needed to figure out a way to leverage my time. And I didn't know what that was. And at the time, and I love this story because I think you probably know Rachel and Alan Cosgrove. They're my mentors. And I reached out to Rachel on Facebook because I looked around the industry and I was like, who's 
who's kind of doing what I want to be doing, but five years ahead of me, right? Maybe like, and at the time, Rachel had a column in women's health. She had a book out. She was running, you know, super successful business results university with her husband, Alan Cosgrove. And at that time I was kind of coming out of the sort of fitness competitor modeling space. So I didn't want to like work with a cover model. Like I was like, that's not my goal anymore. I'm, I really want to make this business thing work. And so I reached out to Rachel as one does on Facebook. And I said, Hey, Rachel, do you do consults? I'd love to do business coaching with you. What does that look like? And she said, Hey, Jill, no problem. Email my assistant gave me her info and said, it's $375 for 30 minutes. And I literally like almost fell off my chair because I was charging $100 for a month of coaching and she's charging $375 for 30 minutes. I was like, this is wild. Like, how is this even a number? Right. And I remember I took a beat and I was like, look, I need to figure out how to charge that. <laughs> like if this person could charge that, I need to figure out how to do that. So I PayPal'd her the money. We got on the phone. And after the call, she gave me some great nuggets and whatever. And then she pitched me on her year-long mastermind, which was $10,000. And if I, I mean, I was floored. I was a definite no. I was like, no, I, I can't even fathom that amount of money. Like that's a car. Like that to me, like made no sense. I don't even get a credit card that had a $10,000 limit on it at the time. So I said, thanks so much for your time. I'll let you know, whatever. And within two weeks, I was like, I'm still stuck. I still don't see where I can go from here. I need to figure out a way to make this money. And at the time I didn't know much, but I was like, you know what, let me see if I can put together like a year long mentorship thing. And I'm going to charge hundred dollars a month for 12 months. So it was $1,200. And let me see if I can get 12 people. And I got 14 people. I literally, you will die laughing at this. I emailed people out from my contact list from my Gmail account. And I attached a PDF flyer and the flyer just said, I'm thinking about doing this. Respond back if you want the details. Like that was it. It was a flyer. Was that? I didn't have an email list and nothing like that. And I got 14 people to give me $1,200 and I made 17 grand and I paid Rachel. And I was like, I mean, the coaching was already paying off, right? I didn't even start with Rachel, but I, but forcing myself to become someone different to get resourceful like that and innovate in that way was what I needed to start becoming someone else and becoming, instead of having, being a woman with a business, becoming a businesswoman, totally different skill set, And that was it. And, and the mentorship was great. It was a year long. And if you know, Rachel and Alan, they actually work with people mostly who have gym businesses. <laughs> so I was kind of like, not even in the right mentorship, but they taught me so much about mindset and charging what you're worth and leveraging your time and boundaries, things that I still use today and teach today in some of my stuff. So I will be forever grateful to them for number one, challenging me on the, on the investment front, right? I wasn't someone who invested. If you're listening to this and you've never invested in your business, it's normal, but it's also a beginner mindset. Cause I think if you're, and you're probably the same way, two wheels at this point, like I'll always invest. I just, that's my value system. So it's not, am I going to invest? It's where am I going to invest? Who's who has the IP or who has the brain or the knowledge that I need access to? Who's that? And, and every step of your business requires a different type of coach, right? Sometimes it's not a business coach. Maybe it's a life coach or a relationship coach or a mindset coach or something, but that's my value system. But back then that was the very first time. And I'm so grateful for that, for that moment of really putting me on the hook and Rachel, just knowing her worth and not trying to like make it cheaper, not trying to like get me as a client. She was totally fine. Acted like she did not need the sale. And I learned so much from just watching her. So she's still, you know, she's obviously a good friend of mine now, but she's definitely a huge mentor of mine. I had the exact same experience in your mastermind group <laughs> or in your business group. But what I was so blown away by was before I joined your group, you had a six week, I think it was called Action Academy. Mm -hmm. And you gave so much value in six weeks. I was like, I just got all the information. I, you just gave me everything like, and, and you gave it for free. And we, you had webinars every single week and you were cranking out content. And we were in a private Facebook group all for free. And I was like, if I'm getting this for free, what's it going to be if I'm paying for it? Right. But this was the, that was the biggest educational investment I had made at one, like in one chunk. Yep. And it was scary. It is. It's kind of terrifying, but I tell you what, it was like the best investment I could have made at the time. And I've taken so many of those things that 
you've talked about that we learned working even together in a group yep. and still apply them. I still yep. apply all that stuff. And having your group was such a huge jumping off point for me mentally because you have ways of thinking about things that aren't necessarily attached to emotion that I think so many people mm-hmm. and me, I mean, listen, where I work at Mark Fisher Fitness, we are an emotional bunch. Like, there's <laughs> a lot of emotions in that group. I'm like, what are they? And it's not yeah, like yeah. you weren't like, tell me your emotions, yeah. but you're like, sure. what are the things you want to get done? What is the deadline? What action are you taking? And it yeah. was like, you can take action. Even if you're feeling an emotional way that doesn't align with that action, like you can take action spite in spite of your emotions. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that in like two things. Number one, the fact that you had the insight to go, wow, if I learned all of this for free, I wonder what I could, I'm going to learn and implement even if I pay for it. Cause a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people go, wow, this is so much. I'm good. Right. I'm good. You know, and I think there's a huge fear for us creators and not so much for me anymore, but I think early creators where they go, well, if I give it all away, no, one's going to want to pay me. And we've shown time after time that the people who like you see it as just a taste and go, wow, what else is there? If I learn this for free, how good is the paid content going to be or the coaching or whatever? And not everyone does. A lot of people are just like, I'm good, Jill. This is great. Thank you. Bye. And it's fine. Like they're not quite ready yet for that investment. They will be at some point because they'll like me, they'll reach a ceiling, right? There's only so much you can do with free content, especially with free content because no and maybe this speaks to your experience. There's no, you're not being on the hook, right? Exactly. Like I, you download the eBooks, you never open them. You sign up for the webinars. You never listen to the recording. You, you know, even buy a book on Amazon. You don't read that shit. So like, I think there's good intentions. People get excited, but I would say that implementation is a 1% action. I think it's easy to want to have that thing. It's easy to want to have a successful business, easy to want to have online clients and easy. It's easy to look at you and be like, well, she must be nice. She has a podcast, right? But you and I both know that at the end of the day, like the biggest thing is, are you willing to implement? Are you willing to take that action? And, you know, I'm glad you said that about emotion too, because I think, I don't think I'm the coach for everybody. I think a lot of times people need a little bit more, like, I wouldn't say like handholding, uh, but my style is very much like if you have a mindset problem, take an action. Like, and I know that's not, that doesn't work for everyone across the board. So I wouldn't assume that it does. But for those who are similar to me and go, my favorite mindset tool really is action because even if it's, if it's a hard action or if it's even a small, super small thing, it does change your perception of reality. If you take an action, you started here and now you're here and you have different things coming up for you, different problems, you have different frustrations, you have different struggles, you have different successes. And without taking that action, you don't give yourself an opportunity to see all of that. And so to me, action really is sort of the antidote to being feeling stuck. Now, I know that there's a lot of different sort of extenuating circumstances and things like that. And it's not that I don't feel emotion. I, I always do. And I think it's really, I think it's dangerous to just stuff shit down. I think our parents' generation probably did a lot of that. Like I talked to my dad, like a week ago, and he's like, yeah, I think we just think if you shoved it down, just stay there. I'm like, yeah, how'd that work for you? <laughs> right. Like, you know, just stay there, go somewhere. And so I think allow for the emotion to feel through you have emotional integrity, right? This is how I feel, feel it, have the full experience and then decide what you're going to do as a result of it. Right. It's because to me, complaining is fine. But actually one of the things Rachel left me with is she said, if you complain about something three times, you have an obligation to find a solution. That's like, yeah, I mean, you can complain about three times, but at some point, what are you going to do? And not everyone, not, that's not motivating for everybody. You know, I don't know that that's everyone's, but for me, it's motivating for those who are attracted to my energy that is motivating as well. I love that. I'm definitely going to internalize that and take it with me. (laughs) What do you do with your clients who, you know, they maybe have a great mindset, they have intentions, but they're just kind of talkers. They're maybe doing a bunch of stuff around the thing. They're not actually doing the work. Yeah. So I don't have too, too many people like this because I think they know, like if they invest me, they're going to be on the hook. Cause I'm like, cool. So we'll check in next week. Like I'm very like accountability focused. I always try and figure out why someone's not doing something. Because at the end of the day, there is usually a reason like, yeah, maybe there's a logistical reason like family, right? Kids, whatever. Then it's like, cool. We need to figure out maybe you're just not in a life 
moment to be able to do this right this second, right? You have competing priorities as much as you want to, and as much as you have the intention to, your life isn't allowing for it right now. And just get, let's just get real with that. Internet business isn't going anywhere. Take this year, do what you need to do, you know, put your footprint down, but like, maybe it's not a hell yes for you right this second. And that's okay. And I think it's just coming to realize that for a lot of people talking and doing a bunch of other things is a, it's a manifestation of sort of a fear of success in a way. I know that sounds kind of a strange thing to say. Why would we be scared of success? But here's the thing. And you know this because you've launched programs before. When you launch a program, you're like, oh shit, I'm on the hook, right? I'm, I'm taking money now. Like I, I'm, I do have a business now. I am on the hook to get these people results. So if I keep talking and I keep not putting myself in the arena, right? If I keep not doing it, then I don't need to be on the hook to have the accountability or have the responsibility of doing the next thing. And so the fear of success really is just the flip side of the fear of failure. Because if you weren't scared of failure, then you wouldn't be scared of success because it just feels like if you have more successors further to fall, if you can't follow through. And I understand for new trainers, I think we see this a lot more in those in the first couple of years of online coaching is because they don't have that many reps yet. So they don't know that they're good yet. Whereas, you know, if you're a personal trainer in the gym for 10 years, you're like, yeah, I can, you know, train anyone anywhere. There's no issue with that. But online, you don't have to quite have the reps yet. You haven't built your confidence or your self-trust yet. And so there is this fear of like, oh, if I say I'm doing this thing what if I fail? What if it doesn't pan out? What if I'm embarrassed? What if I, you know, how am I going to be perceived? There's all of these sort of like more mindset issues. And I will say it's usually in the first like six to 18 months, the biggest mindset issues. I think there's always the next level, wherever business you are, but you recognize it faster. You're like, oh, this is me procrastinating because I'm a little bit scared to be on the hook or now the, the stakes are higher. Now I got to, and I'm going through a growth phase in my business right now. And I'm taking a lot of scary action because I'm, I was, I have a huge autonomy button. And so for me taking on more team members, like bringing on more people now I'm responsible for company culture, like all of these kind of things that we see, I kind of was like this for a long time as a solopreneur, just some contract workers, super like lean business, but I have some big goals that I'm trying to get to and I can't do it alone. And so really struggling with trying to figure out who I am in this new role, what that looks like and being challenged a lot. And you never have to do that, right? There's, but there always is another place to go if you want to. What are some of the things you're having to process and figure out as you're stepping into this new jail fit biz? I'll tell you what, how I'm doing it is, it is like one decision at a time. And I think honestly, it has worked for me is if I find myself wanting to do the old comfortable thing, I do the opposite. Like literally that is my productivity system. Like, so for example, at the beginning of this year, I was like, I'm bringing on team members. I'm doing a whole rebrand, a whole new website, which my website is like four years old. And it's like, it's like just so old that I don't tell people to go to anymore. But I was like website rebrand team members, like team meetings. So before I would be like, I don't want anything on my schedule. I don't want to be responsible for anybody. Like now I'm like literally responsible for your like livelihood. Right. And so you know, I know you're at Mark Fisher, like that's a lot of responsibility. It's like, we got to fucking stay in business because now I have all these people who need this job and they're great. And I want to be able to provide, not only provide, but I want them to be able to like work their way up and make more money and have more opportunities. And so I'm finding myself being like, all right, Jill, it's not just you anymore. And that's a level of responsibility that I had sort of shirked for a time, but now I'm like, all right, we're, we're going places and, and I think that we can do it, but I need a team behind me. And that's going to require more responsibility on my part. So I make decisions minute by minute by what the old Jill would do. And I do the opposite. I'm like, yep, don't want anything in my calendar. Okay. I'm going to have the meeting, right? I don't want to have these team meetings that I'm going to do. I'm like, I just keep saying yes to the uncomfortable thing. And so far it's worked out well. It's not just this new, what you're creating. If I'm correct, and I want to make sure I'm correct. You have two podcasts, yep. three Instagram accounts that you're actively on that you are, have a lot of followers, you're Jill Fit, Moderation 365, and now Fit Biz You. Maybe Best Life Podcast? Yeah, the best life, yeah. Or <laughs> you have a Fitness Business Accelerator, Fitness Business Accelerator. And then do you have another like mastermind group with the Fitness Maestro? I have two, more, I have two other programs, yeah. So Fit Biz, FBA, Fitness Business Accelerator is my beginner to business program. 
Uh, we launched that twice a year. We have a program called Legacy, which is a partnership mastermind with uh, the Movement Maestro, Dr. Shante Cofield. That's a six-month intermediate business mentorship. And then I have a year-long 100K mastermind. All right. So you have all these <laughs> groups and you're trying to revise everything. <laughs> How do you manage your energy? How do you do it? Yeah. So one of the things with bringing on a team, I was, I got to the point where I talked to a lot of people who are in this space who were where I was maybe a year or two ago, where they're like, I'm so scared to delegate. No one's going to do it as well as me. You know, I don't trust anybody to do it as well as me. I literally sort of made this choice out of necessity. I was finding that I kept saying, I don't want to bring on team members because I don't want, I, I want my autonomy. And I am so tied to my business because I was doing everything that I don't have an autonomy anyway. So I literally was like, you know what? If I can bring someone in who does it 85, 90% as good as I would do it, it's fucking fine. It's good enough. Like, and we can work on that and whatever. And so I got to the point of being like, anyone can take anything off my plate. <laughs> so you'll know when it's time to build your team. When you get to that point, I would suggest probably doing it earlier and I would be further along probably if I had, but I realized I was in sort of like an autonomy trap. Like I had already tried trap myself. I didn't even have the thing I said I wanted. And so when I made that decision um, to bring someone on, I just started giving everything to my team. Like literally, and there's been things, there's been like things that have gone wrong that like I probably would have seen had I been the one in charge of it, but nothing, but it's nothing you can't survive. Like, and we get better as a team when like things go wrong and whatever, and I'm giving a lot of my, um, I'm giving a lot of power over to the team. Like, you know, literally like they're writing my sales pages, writing my sales emails, like stuff that I would never have given before, but I'm like, in order to, to your point, original question about energy management, I need to, and I have to let the chips fall and I have to see if it's okay. And so far it's been great. Yeah. We've definitely had missteps and whatever, but it all works out. And so I think to answer your question, I'm extremely focused. And let's be honest, I'm only good at a handful of things and I'm really shitty at everything else. Like totally. I suck at cooking, cleaning, like I'm remembering people's birthdays. Like I'm not that person that like everyone, we all have that like mom in our life who just like always is, has like the decorations and is making the cookies and is like, just has, that's how their brain works. Get the gifts, get the cards, send the thing. I don't do any of that stuff. I wish I was better at those things, but I start, I stopped beating myself up a long time ago and realizing that I could pour energy into some of these other things in my life, uh, but it would take away from my focus. And so instead of trying to bring up my weaknesses, I made a decision years ago to just double down on my strengths and let sometimes like stuff doesn't get done. Right. And also when you have, and I'm sure again, to this point too, where you have a lot of clients, like I have these programs and I have, so I have a lot of people who want my attention. And so I sort of have to figure out a way boundary wise to be very clear on the communications of the channel communications, right? Like who gets me where does someone get me in my DMS or do they have to wait for a phone call? Do they get me on my email? Do they like, I don't even, I don't do email anymore, but like where does the, the communication happen and be very uh, boundary heavy and enforce that. And unfortunately my paying clients, they get me like, they just do, they get, they get the, the comments on social, they get the likes, they get the, you know, they get the back and forth on DMS. Like that's what they get. If I have a previous client of mine, I love my clients, everyone I work with, but I just cannot afford to give every single person I've ever worked with all of the time and all of the love and all of the comments and all of the like, but I wish them well. They're amazing. I want to see them as successful as possible. I will always be in the cheering section, but just for my purposes, and this has been hard, I think for some of my previous clients, they want to have that closeness still like we had when we were working together. I just can't. It's not that I don't wish them well and they're amazing and whatever. And if they need something, I will do it for them, but I can't always be this. It can't be the same relationship we had when we were working together. And I think for some people that's hard to, you know, to, to have. And so I really, I'm trying to, and it would be unfair of me, honestly, to like to coach people in my DMS or over email who aren't my paying clients. So I do have a lot of these, it's not a better than thing or worse than thing, or like to shame people for not having money to be able to invest. But I do have to manage my current people who's in my ecosystem right this moment and give them my energy and give them my focus. And then I like, just logistically, I batch days. So we're recording this on a Tuesday. 
Tuesdays and Wednesdays are all appointments for me. So it's podcasts, coaching calls, webinars, workshops, all that kind of stuff. And then Thursday through Monday, I do all creative work. So today I probably like won't post on social media. I won't write marketing emails. Like I won't do that stuff on my coaching days, my front facing days. And the rest of the week I use for like just creative work, which you need. And you know, you need a lot of time and space to do that. So from a logistical perspective, I'm just very compartmentalized. Which is amazing. And having boundaries the way that you do. I know I've struggled so, so hard in the past because I'm like, oh, I want to help everybody. Mm-hmm. But you have people that are are paying for your time and paying for your expertise or the people that you're working with. And then you get email. I still get so many emails, so many DMs of like, oh, like my hip hurts. What yeah. can I do? And I'm like, we worked together 11 years ago. Totally. And that's the thing is the good news about building a body of work, but coming back to that is you always have a resource to that. So you had mentioned, I gave away a six week course for free. <laughs> so someone comes in is like, hey, Jill, I want to start my business. I'm like, amazing. Here's all these free things that you can do. And I'm happy to help. So I think the benefit of being in business, as long as I have, is like, you do have a lot of shit you can help people with that are free. (laughs) Go read that blog, go listen to that podcast, two podcasts, right? So there's a ton of stuff out there, but if it comes down to my time and my mental energy, like my live mental energy and time, it needs to be people who are paying, unfortunately. That's yeah, no, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Tell me about then how you manage your environment because you batch days. Yep. And you, I think, recently moved. Did you move into like a new-ish place? Yeah, I've been how at this new place for eighteen months. Yeah. yeah, I was. I was in a place before, and it was kind of like a cave. Like it was just a. It was a Manhattan Beach. It was beautiful. It was like two, literally two blocks from the beach. But it was kind of like a cave. It was like an older, like in Manhattan Beach, you can get away with having like a kind of a beach shack, you know. And just everything from like the lighting to like the landlord lived on, like it's just all these things that I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. So I started looking in my budget and there was like not all that much. And so then there is this place down the street, quarter mile from where we're at, still two blocks from the beach, completely redone, completely like everything was exactly what I wanted. It was like about $1,700 outside my budget, like per month. I was like, well, let me go look at it. Maybe I'll hate it. (laughs) I'll go look at it. Maybe I'll hate it. I fucking loved it. And I was like, I have to live here. High ceilings, just like big windows, like plenty of space. We have like a sauna now, like just so much better for my creative space. And I was like, okay, this, like, this is why. And I'm like, I'm not a big, like materialistic person. I don't like, you know, need to drive a nice car and have like designer bags and shoes and stuff, but I do need an environment because I spend so much time at the house. I need an environment that is conducive to creativity. I mean, in my old place, I wouldn't even like do videos on stories because I was like, this shit is yellow. The lighting was awful. Right. So just even stuff like that, that you forget, like, you're just like, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal because it's a small little barrier to creating content or it's a small little barrier to showing up confidently in your videos or on stories, be able to do a sales video. You know, we have like a great space, great light, great, you know, so that's all of those things. And I had to figure out like, okay, this is way outside the budget, but how can I fucking make the money right to live here? And so you just do it. But yeah, it's been, I'm a messy person, very messy going back to like things that just don't get done. So I have like someone who helps me clean and I have a personal assistant who like, you know, helps put my clothes away when I go like all that kind of stuff. So I wasn't always able to do that, but I remember my first hire was actually someone to help me clean. And this is back when I lived in North Carolina and it was like 50 bucks for every two weeks. And I was like, okay, how can I make hundred dollars this month, right? You just start with that. How can I make an extra hundred bucks this month to be able to have someone? Cause it's not just the time cleaning. And I think this is an important thing too. It's not just the time cleaning, right? That only takes, I don't know, maybe an hour or two. It's the mental energy around. I gotta, okay. I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm home. I get on Sunday. I gotta get cleaning. Like it's the dreading of it, the anticipation, right. Versus now, like just having someone. And so I don't want you to, to listen to me be like, well, it must be nice for you. Jill, like literally it was hundred bucks. And I was like, how can I figure out a way to make a hundred dollars. If you're listening to this, I hope that you do see that you don't have to have a fixed income mindset. You can literally go get one client on social media right now. There's someone who is looking for an olive branch who follows you. So there's an opportunity there. And so you just need to, to shift your mindset. And this is part of part of what we do in FBA is going from like sort of a fixed income mindset. This is how much money I have to like, maybe I could actually make hundred bucks this month. Maybe I could actually make 500 extra bucks this month. In my experience, 
a lot of people don't want to make millions of dollars. They don't need that. They don't want that. They just want to make an extra like thousand dollars a month, $2,000 a month, contribute to the household, be able to go on vacation. Like, and you guys can do that. Like we can do that much more now than we ever have been able to. So um, it's a fun time to be alive. It's really cool. Managing your physical environment is one thing. And something that you taught me in the Action Academy that I still to this day really use as managing my digital environment. And that also comes with you saying like, you want to be the creator and not the consumer. And something that you taught in Action Academy, like in the first week, maybe it was like unfollow 10. And for whatever reason, I just never considered that I should unfollow somebody on social media. (laughs) And now I'm like, I don't follow anybody. I mean, I'm friends with people, but I like mute on like hide, hide, hide. Because I was getting sucked into what they were doing, or I was spending a ton of time, or even sometimes my friends where I have visceral reactions. And I'm like, that's annoying, but I really like you in person. So I like, I'm putting myself in a digital environment that is causing some kind of response in me that I don't want. And for whatever reason, you saying unfollow 10 was the first time I was like, oh, I just don't have to look at this all day. I love it. And so many people are like, I didn't stop at 10. I went to 20. Then I went to 50. <laughs> like it everybody. does feel. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, right? Cause oftentimes we're just like, we're just getting these, we're receiving these messages on social media, but we don't stop to think like, Oh, I'm in control of this, you know, or that, like you said, it's someone I like in person. And here's the thing is I know a lot of people, like a lot of people know me in person and I'm, I'm pretty much the same person, but I use my social media for business. of my social media is for business. I give away a lot of free stuff. And yes, I kind of pull back the curtain and show some of my personal life, but I'm promoting on there. I'm talking about my offers a lot. I'm talking about, I'm regramming a lot of people. So sometimes people who I know in person, like don't want to follow me on social, which I totally get. And I'm like, totally understand. It could be annoying as fuck. Like that's not where your head's at. And so I think making sure that you are keeping, and if you are someone who likes to scroll a lot, then you probably need some boundaries in place on that. And high level, just get excited about your thing, you know, like high level, get so excited about something you're creating that no other person's amazing thing that they're doing pulls you off course, right? Because there's a thing, and you know this, there's a million ways to arrive at success. So if I'm like, cool, I'm launching this, like you launching this podcast, right? I'm launching this podcast and super excited. Then maybe you see someone on social media who's like, maybe it's an ad or something. You're like, if you don't have a YouTube channel, then you're never going to be successful. And you're like, oh, maybe I should put, maybe I should do YouTube, right? Like, so it's so easy to get pulled off course if you're not hyper-focused and excited about what you're doing. And so high level, just be so focused and so pumped. Cause here's the thing, YouTube's not going anywhere. Let's do this first, right? Let's see how this thing goes. And maybe we layer on YouTube later. So I realized, especially in the first couple of years of building your online platform and your online audience, that it doesn't seem like that long of a time. So you're like, well, I should probably do everything. And there's a lot of urgency around that. Then you kind of settle into this process and realize that you can do everything, but you just can't do it at once. You can do everything and you will, but it's going to be over the course of five years, 10 years, 20 years. You know, you want to write a book. Awesome. That's probably not for this year, right? Maybe that's, you want to start a podcast. Maybe that's not this year. Look, podcasts aren't going anywhere. These social media platforms are not going anywhere. And so try to inoculate yourself from the feelings of FOMO and urgency and scarcity. Like things are going away and you're missing these opportunities, right? Honestly, there are so many opportunities, but you have to really settle in to this process and realize what is for you right now and what might be for you later and just be hyper-focused on on what you're doing and be excited about what you're doing. I definitely am falling into that trap of the sense of urgency. Like I need to create this stuff and then I need to do this, this, this. And then it becomes so overwhelming that I'm just like, don't do anything. Because you're like, I'm missing these customers, right? And like, if they don't buy now, they're never going to buy. Right. Like, no, they'll buy. Right. And it was maybe different people. You know, I don't know if you ever did like uh, dating apps or anything, but like, I remember when I was single. And I was like swiping on dating apps. I would feel like, especially the beginning, I was like, oh my God, if I don't talk to this person, this might be my like soulmate and he's going to be like getting away. And then once I swipe for like, you know, six months or so, I'm like, oh, like throw away. Like, it's just like throw. It's fine. Like there's, there's always more people and you're in New York. I'm in LA. Like there's always more people. And so it's the same thing online. Realize that it's long tail relationships, right? So you don't have to sell this person right now on this thing. In fact, I'd probably rather you wait 
instead of doing something that feels icky to you or desperate to you or whatever, instead, just wait, cultivate the relationship, give free value, you know, go back and forth and DM. And then maybe a year from now, instead of buying something for $200, we'll buy something for $2,000 because you built that relationship. And so I think you have to have this long view of if you do want what Shantae and I call a legacy business. You know, I'm not here out here trying to get people to go viral. Like that shit's not me, right? I'm here to help someone love their life and and integrate a business that helps a lot of people that also feel super aligned. And that's going to take more time than just going viral on TikTok. Like it's, we're talking about real strategies so that you can have a legacy business. You can be doing this for 10, 15, 20 years and have a career, you know, and I don't even think I was at the earliest, but I was certainly on the early side of it. So we're now starting to see people who have been doing digital business for 15 and 20 years. Like this is a career, but you have to treat it like that. Like any other career where like, it's going to take some time to promote, right? It's going to take some time to promote, but so you have to ask yourself, how willing are you to sort of take the long road, but you have to figure out ways to love it and enjoy it along along the way. I think one of my biggest things when I was starting out was thinking, how can I make this much money in this amount of time, right? Even starting, even formation, was like, okay, I know I this and I like, I want to get here and I need to do it now. And, you know, I'm in a very different place now where, especially with this, I'm like, oh, I could see myself doing this like literally forever. And it's such a different place of creation. You just, it feels better. It feels so much better than like scarcity. And you need this specifically, like when you're searching for money quickly, like that's a shitty place to create from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And I, and I don't want to belittle the fact that like sometimes people are like, they do legitimately need to pay their bills. Right. So there's moments where you're like, shit, I need a thousand dollars this month. Like, where's that going to come from? And I think, you know, that can be motivating for some people, but I think that's just a uh, kind of a shitty place to live, which is why I'm not a huge f- fan of like burning the boats. Like, I'm just like, you know what, maybe you should keep that gym job for a little bit, maybe change some things in your schedule, which is what I did. It took me 18 months from starting Jill Fit to being able to quit my full-time job and do quit all personal training. And it went by fast. It went by anyway. Right. So I'm not a huge fan of like just burning the ships and going all in. I think you should have do the hybrid thing for a time. And I think if you love what you're doing online, you'll know when it's time to quit in person. And I do just want to validate that at some point, you're not going to feel if you've been doing it long enough, you've been doing it well enough and you're staying engaged in the process, you're not going to have those feelings of like, I need to make, at some point you're going to have enough money. Like, but I think, especially in the first couple of years, it feels like I need to be making this. And we, of course, you know, see this a lot in like ads on Instagram and Facebook, make six figures in 90 days and like all these kinds of stuff. So it's just feeding into this. And, and I will say that we have never seen the kind of numbers that we're seeing now, you know, like we're never seeing seven figure business owner, like it's your neighbor and they like have a seven figure online business. And you're like, what? like, we're just seeing numbers that we never saw before. It's being used for marketing. It's fine. It's social proof, but it's fucking with people's heads. It really is. Cause they're going, I just started my business. Look, Jill, I'm following the plan. Why haven't I made a million dollars yet? It's like, you don't get to though. Like it's, and not that I need a champion of the struggle. It doesn't need to be hard, but like, that's not how it fucking works. Like, which is why I do tell people, even if you're not ready to sort of go all in on your online business, at least start putting your footprint down, at least start just showing up on social, right? So you're starting to build that goodwill. You're starting to build that trust. You're starting to build that familiarity so that if you, a year from now are like, hell yeah, I'm ready. Especially in the pandemic. Like a lot of people just like rushed online and I think it was sort of a land grab, Um, but now they're sort of seeing like, oh, I actually want to make this into a real thing. What does that then look like? Cause I don't know that you can build a business from urgency and scarcity and desperation. I think it has to come from a place of like abundance and like passion and purpose and meaning. And that takes, I I would say a couple of years to like really settle into that place to be like, oh, I'm doing this for good now. What resources do you recommend? I think some of the biggest dial movers for me personally were books that were business books, but they were more mindset books, to be honest. And I think I actually gave this to you guys in Best of You. There's a book by John C. Maxwell called How Successful People Think. Um, And then there's another one called uh, To Sell as Human. And both of those books really made a huge impact on me, especially at the beginning, because I did have a lot of mindset blocks 
um, around like, am I good enough? Am I, you know, uh, can I really do this? Who am I to do this? Right. A lot of imposter syndrome. Um, I did not like selling. I felt like I was annoying people. I was worried what my friends and family would think. So I think some of the books that are, they're business oriented, but they're more about possibility thinking. Like I'm not a huge fan of like Tony Robbins, but I think maybe those kinds of books where you need someone to tell you it's possible at the beginning. Cause at the beginning, honestly, it doesn't matter what you do, just do anything. Like literally just do anything higher levels in business. Then it becomes like really about strategy and like whatever in their first year or two, it's just like, are you taking action? Because if you are, you're going to learn the strategy. If you're taking action, like this is one of the things that, and when you were invested with you, and I still do this with my FBA girls, you need to do a launch this year. Like you just do. I know it feels like scary and whatever. It's a lot of moving parts. You're really worried. You're not going to make any money. No one's going to show up. Like you're worried about all things, but you need to have the full experience. Like do the full thing. So books that I think help with just getting you to take action is huge. There's a book called The Tools that I really like. That was hugely impactful for me. There's a book called The Powerful Engagement, which is a really impactful, I think you, you read that as well, in terms of energy management, um, because that's huge, right? It's not really about like the, the tools and the strategies aren't rocket science. It's going to be, can you overcome your current level of comfort can you overcome your current level of uh, self-belief? Like it's going to be a lot of those kind of things. Um, in terms of resources, in terms of like courses and coaches, what I can recommend, and I actually did a couple episodes on FitBizU about this, is if you are looking for a mentor, which I hope you are, I think I always recommend that most people do, especially if you're surrounded by people in person, friends and family who do not understand what you're doing, don't think it's viable, whatever. You have to go out and pay for friends. Like you just do. You have to go out and pay for people to be around people, to be in the rooms with people who have a possibility mindset, who don't think you're, you know, insane for wanting to do something different. You have to sort of pay for that at the beginning. And so mentorships, masterminds, stuff like that. And then really I would find someone like I did, like Rachel, who's further along, but has a similar vibe, personality, energy. That's the most important thing. And then ask the person you're considering hiring if they can show you some results they've gotten. I think you know, we're scared to do that sometimes, but any good coach will be happy to share with you all the results that they've gotten. If they're a good coach, if they're a good mentor, they'll be happy to send you talk to so-and-so like whatever, if they're good. And if they, they gaslight you or they, you know, try and tell you that like make, like force you to like, to take action by a certain date, just run the other way. Like I I'm definitely a huge fan of mentorship, but it should feel aligned start to finish. And a good coach will never beg for business. Is someone who is in high demand, who is good at what they do, will never pressure you. They might give you a deadline like, hey, we're going to start on Monday, join by Sunday, but they're never going to make you feel bad. They're going to, never going to guilt you into taking action. Like you have to be aware of some of these things. So there's a couple of episodes in Fit Busy on how to sort of choose a mentor, but start looking around and be like, whose vibe do I like? Who's where I want to get to? Who has a lifestyle that I'm interested in, in replicating? And just reach out and see if they do coaching. Well, you can just say, at least for me, you are an invaluable resource. And I would love for people to connect with you and <laughs> join your programs, join your groups, because they're so, so valuable. Where can people find you? How can they connect? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's just at Jill Fit on all the socials and JillFit.com. So if you guys you know, are interested in this, I would definitely probably start with maybe listening to FitBizU episodes. They're all 15 minutes or less. So they're all super short. We publish a couple times a week um, and they're all just little business sort of niche topics. So everything from mindset to tactical stuff. I give away a lot of stuff that I, you know, I talk about in my programs and stuff like that. So if you're just interested in, in also just feeling out the vibe, what that looks like, uh, start listening to those episodes, hit me up on social, sign the DM, say what's up. Uh, would love to meet you guys, but that is it. Jill Coleman, thank you so much for your time. I loved our conversation today and I can't wait to see where your business goes. That's it. I hope you enjoyed it. Jill always has insanely useful nuggets, not only for fitness business owners, but for content creators in general and how to scale. So if you're a creator, if you're trying to sell a product online, you have to check out at Jill Fit on Instagram, jillfit.com. And then her podcast, Fit Biz You, has a ton of great nuggets too. Thanks for joining me today. Keep covering ground, friends.